last week on the Joes on the Pros podcast. The Rams have had success when Jared Goff has success and when the line holds up for him, and that's what they're going to have to do against this tough Pittsburgh Steelers team. I think that they're going to come out and they are going to win that line of scrimmage battle with this Rams team, and they are going to get this season in check and start to turn around with this huge win. Cleveland has clearly just not played up to their expectations right now, and it's not looking good for them playoff-wise. If Patrick Mahomes comes back and he's healthy and he's playing like we have seen him play earlier this season and to his MVP season last year, I think that this team is the best team in the AFC. You are now tuning in to the Joes on the Pros podcast with your host, Judy Riddle and Casey Warner, covering all the latest topics in today's sports. So last week when we recorded our episode prior to week 10 of the NFL season, we did not know a crucial piece of information of what was going to go down for us this weekend. And that was that we were going to get surprised and get an opportunity to get to go to the Steelers-Rams game. Shout out to Ken Green, uh, a good friend of Casey's dad, who's a huge Rams fan uh, that lives up there in Columbus, who gave us the opportunity to go see our two favorite teams play in a huge matchup in Week 10 in Pittsburgh. The crowd was electric. The stadium was packed. It was a great defensive game. Uh, It was kind of hard to watch for the people back at home, but for us, it was a lot of fun because the crowd was electric. And the and the Steelers absolutely got it done this week. What I said last week, I said that whoever controlled the line of scrimmage was going to win this game. The Los Angeles Rams offensive line showed that they are not very good at all. The defensive front seven of the Steelers, I've been saying it, that they are very, very young. They're very elite, and they get after quarterbacks, and they're a top-five team in sacks, and they proved it to Jared Goff, and they came up with a very narrow, low-scoring victory like I had predicted last week on the episode Casey so do you want to get into kind of what you saw in that game against the Steelers and what you thought about our experience there at Heinz Field yeah let me just uh, start by saying a great fan base Uh, the Steelers fan base uh, showed out in all types of ways Uh, I was impressed with the fans they're very nice people very diehard football fans very knowledgeable about the game and everywhere you look there were terrible towels waving black and yellow you know representing their team a great atmosphere as Junie said uh, great stadium, loved Heinz Field, great football atmosphere, uh, loved the weather, good football weather, just a perfect day for a perfect game. Unfortunately, it was not in my favor. It was in Junie's favor. Uh, all the credit in the world to the Steelers' defense. They looked great out there. They had four sacks on Jared Goff. He was completely lost out there. They had Sean McVay lost as two. I just I don't understand what Sean McVay is thinking right now. That offense just does not look anywhere close to what it looked like the last two seasons he's been at the helm. Uh, I mean, I don't even know where to start here. First of all, uh, Todd Gurley averaged six yards a carry. He got 12 carries, didn't touch the ball at all in the fourth quarter. That's uh, that's very concerning right there. It just goes to show you Sean McVay just does not have his game plan where it should be right now. The NFL is keying in on his ideas, and he is not getting it done offensively. The Rams are not getting it done right now. Don't want to take credit away from the Steelers. Great game by them. Great game management. Way to come out with a tough, hard-fought defensive victory. Um, You know, and I'll just go ahead and say Jared Goff doesn't deserve that contract he got at the beginning of the year. I said I was pretty satisfied with them locking him in. I had some thoughts, you know, that obviously aren't accurate about him right now. Said he was top 10 quarterback. That's nowhere near in the conversation anymore. He has looked 
pretty bad the last few weeks, and he is showing right now that he's part of the reason the Rams are struggling so bad. Now let me get into my aspect of the game, and I'm going to talk about that Steelers defense here. Bud Dupree is in a contract year, and he is coming out of Kentucky, so you're very familiar with Bud Dupree. This guy is really lighting it up this season, alongside with T.J. Watt on the other side. They were really getting after the quarterback there, causing that fumble that Minka Fitzpatrick picked up. And speaking of Minka Fitzpatrick, since the Steelers picked up Minka Fitzpatrick, they are a five and two football uh, football team here, and they and he has five and interceptions and a fumble. Uh, He's the first Steeler since 1984 to get a touchdown in two consecutive games, and he is looking like an absolute beast. He's the first Steeler to also get an interception in two consecutive games since Troy Polamalu in their Super Bowl 2008 season there. So yes, getting Minka Fitzpatrick was a huge get for this Steelers team. A lot of people criticized it. I actually liked it. I thought that the one thing that this defense was missing in the beginning of the year was a very good safety, and we went out and got him, and he has been playing absolutely amazing. So I, I like I said, in my preseason predictions, I said this Steelers front seven is good. The secondary is what's bothering me. They went out, they got it done, they got their guy, and I truly think that this is going to be a great defense from years to come because they're very, very young, very ambitious, and they are going, they're following along with what Mike Tomlin wants to do and wants to see for the foreseeable future. The Steelers are in great shape right now. I mean, they're currently locked into that second wild card spot in the AFC. They have three very winnable games coming up. They got Thursday night football at the Browns coming up. You got to think that's a very winnable game for them. Browns still not playing too well. Got a big win this past week against the Bills. We'll get into that later. But then they play the Bengals after that, and then the Browns again. So three straight games against losing teams right there. Steelers have put themselves in very good position for that playoff conversation. On the other hand, the Rams have not. The Seahawks get a big win over the 49ers this week. We'll get into that here in a little bit. But the Rams have got to keep themselves in check right now. They cannot let this season go to total disaster. Sean McVay's got to regroup. They got a big game coming up next week against the Bears on Sunday night football. Have to get a home win right there. And then they got a huge game against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. So if they don't get this ship righted very quickly, Sean McVay is going to have a lost season under his belt. There's going to be a lot of questions flying around about who they're paying what, why they're paying them so much. So the Rams have got to get it together these next few weeks with a tough schedule coming up. But on the other hand, the Steelers are in great shape right now, making a great playoff push, and that's going to be a good game this week on Thursday Night Football. So, Casey, i got to ask you, as a big Rams fan, you had a lot of high hopes coming into this season about what they were going to be. Now, with that being said, they were a Super Bowl team last year. They had they had a 13-3 and season. Their only three losses last year came to three good teams in the Bears, Eagles, and Saints. What is the difference between this year and last year that you see with the Los Angeles Rams? Uh, they lost two starting linemen on the offensive line. Uh, that's, that's never a good combination right there. They lost Roger Saffold. And they lost center John Sullivan, who's a, been a veteran in this league now for a few years, and he's been a great veteran holding down the line for the Rams the last couple of years. Jared Goff's lost out there. He does not have the same confidence nor the protection that he had the last couple of years. Uh, even Andrew Whitworth, like I was mentioning to you the other day, he's not played up to his potential. He's getting older by the day. The offensive line's a mess. They ended up with three rookies on the offensive line at the end of that Steelers game. Uh, the offense just has no chemistry, has no balance. Uh, Todd Gurley's not getting the ball like he should. He's capable of getting the ball like we've seen, and he's just not getting it. I mean, Sean McVay even put Blake Bortles in there for some kind of 
read option play that he thought, I guess, was going to work. So he clearly is lost right now, has no idea what's going on on offense. And, I mean, the offense, that's that's just it. The offense is what drives that team. We know the defense is going to come out. You know they're going to get pressure with Aaron Donald. You know Jalen Ramsey's going to cover the number one receiver pretty well. But on the offensive end, that's what drives this team. They're not getting it done. And until they start getting it done, they're going to keep losing. Now let's get on to the huge Monday night game that we got to watch last night. And it's also a huge NFC West matchup between the 8-0 49ers and the 7-2 Seahawks. The Seahawks ended up coming up with the victory, ending the 49ers' undefeated season last night in a huge game, probably the biggest Monday night game of the season, Casey. So what did you see in that game, and and what possibilities do you see of this, this really strong NFC West division playing out after that game? Well, the funny thing about this game is what I noticed is the Seahawks beat the 49ers at their own game. Great defense. 3.2 yards per carry rushing average by the 49ers. The Seahawks shut that rushing game down. Jimmy Garoppolo was 24 of 48 with an interception. He was sacked five times. When you get that kind of pressure on a quarterback, a passable quarterback like Jimmy Garoppolo, and it throws his game off, that is exactly what it does for the entire team. Throws the entire offense off. They get out of rhythm, and that whole game plan is upset from then. The Seahawks defense showed out. Jadavion Clowney had a fumble recovery touchdown, a strip sack, and five QB hits. That's a great acquisition. It's been a great acquisition all year long for the Seahawks. Pete Carroll's been really playing up to that team. The defense looks great. Yeah, no, I definitely. Jadavion Clowney had said prior to the game that he was not happy with the results of that defense and of his play himself. He definitely, I think, it was very pleased with his performance that he had last night. But let's get to the 49ers side here. Now, the 49ers, like I said previously, were 8-0 prior to this game here, but they lost their big veteran acquisition that they got from Denver and Emmanuel Sanders early in this game. They also did not have their all-star uh, tight end, Jordan. George Kittle in there, and then a big, a big loss in this game, which obviously if you watch the game, uh, missing that kick in overtime with that with the kicker that they picked off the waivers. They did not have Robbie Gold, the seasoned veteran, uh, who probably would have made that kick and won the game for them. That was a huge loss for them as well. So a lot of guys there for San Francisco that really probably could have made a difference in this game in some key moments. But like you said, Seattle's defense that has been struggling all this year and that has been the weak point of this team really did come up and show out. But let's get into Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson also had a great game last night. You know, he was under duress in that first couple drives when the Niners came out and had a 10-0 lead there, but he ended up stepping up and having a very good game against this team. He went 24-34, 232 yards and a touchdown. He had that interception in overtime, but easily he bounced back, you know, got the ball out of the pocket, was making some runs, dumping it off to that tight end off the practice squad, Hollister. He didn't have Tyler Lockett there in the end of the game because he was sitting on the bench injured, and we don't really know what that injury is just yet. We're still waiting to hear, but yeah, he was doing that with a rookie receiver there in DK Metcalf and a guy that they just picked up in Josh Gordon. So very impressive there with Russell Wilson getting that win with receivers that he is not super familiar with against that elite San Francisco 49ers defense there in Santa Clara. The San Francisco 49ers offense just wasn't doing what they have normally done the past few weeks. They were 6 of 15 on third down. 
Bad third down efficiency never equates to a good game for an offense. They only had 87 yards on the ground. That quick running game that we're usually used to seeing with Tevin Coleman and Matt Burita was not in effect last night. And, you know, the 49ers actually won the turnover battle last night. That's an interesting stat. But, you know, like Junie said, rookie kicker in there. He could have came up clutch in the end. He actually went three or four. You know, I'll give him credit for that. He had a pretty decent game, but he couldn't come up where it mattered. Tough overtime loss for the 49ers, and the Seahawks are now just one game behind them in that division race. Now, I had said it all year that the 49ers really hadn't played a big competition. I'd say that the best team that they've played all year was the Pittsburgh Steelers. And in that game, it was Mika Fitzpatrick's first game and Mason Rudolph's first start, and they still only won by four points in San Francisco. So with that being said, now they're finally playing against a good team in Seattle in their division, and they got a lot of these good teams, such as the Baltimore Ravens. They got the Green Bay Packers, the Saints, and I think that some of these teams are going to start really proving to us what the San Francisco 49ers truly are. But coming up next, we're going to talk about the big Sunday showdown against America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, playing against a Minnesota Vikings team that we're really not sure what they are just yet. Uh, We're going to get into that huge game coming up next. On Sunday Night Football this week, the Minnesota Vikings headed in to Jerry's World in Arlington. Huge game with huge playoff implications for both of these NFC teams. Two NFC teams looking to boost their playoff hopes. Cowboys currently sit on top of that division. They're tied now after this game, but they had a half-game lead on the Philadelphia Eagles, and they could not get it done against the Minnesota Vikings. The Minnesota Vikings moved to 7-3. and three. Now, despite this, the Cowboys still had a pretty productive offensive game. Amari Cooper had 11 catches, 147 yards, and a touchdown, and Dak Prescott threw for nearly 400 yards, but they could just not get it done. How come Dallas did not get it done against the Vikings on Sunday, man? Well, I mean, they definitely had a chance there at the end. I think it came down to play calling at the end because, I mean, like like you said, Dak Prescott was hot in that game. And honestly, if I'm going to be completely honest, he has proven to me that he is a starting quarterback in this league and that he is a franchise player. He deserves to get paid. And you know how much I dislike the Cowboys, but he has truly proven to me that he is a franchise quarterback, not only with his with his play on the field, but when reporters were asking him at the end of the game about what I'm about to get into, he handled it gracefully. He said all the right things, and he said it the right way. And that's exactly what you want from a franchise quarterback. But going into that last drive there, the Dallas Cowboys seemed to be knocking there right on the door to score. The Vikings were up 28-24, to and they needed a touchdown to win. It was second down. They handed the ball to Zeke, who only had 47 yards on 20, on 20 carries in the game. That's 2.7 yards a carry, if you can't do the math. And so he wasn't really having the best game. It was obvious the Minnesota Vikings defense game plan was to stop the run with Ezekiel Elliott, and they did so. And then on second down, they were trying to run the clock out, handed a Zeke. He got stuffed at the line. What happened on third down? Our crucial down, handed the ball to Zeke. 
He got stuffed at the line again. It's fourth down. You put all your marbles into one play, and they try to throw it to Zeke, and the pass gets deflected. The game is essentially over, and the Minnesota Vikings escape, and I think that's terrible play calling. Dak Prescott had a fantastic game, nearly 400 yards like we mentioned, and you don't give the ball in the hands of the guy that's hot. I put that all on Kellen Moore and Jason Garrett because that's just bad play calling. I get that you want to run the clock down in order to not give the Vikings an opportunity to score, but you got to do what you got to do to win, man. You got to trust in your defense that if you give the Minnesota Vikings about a minute left, that they are going to have to get it done, and they didn't, and it cost them the game, man. They really should have won that game. In a close game like this, it every possession, every turnover, every stat matters. So I think the telltale sign for this game is Minnesota just outrushing Dallas. Minnesota had 153 yards on the ground, and like you spoke of, Dallas only had 50 total yards. Zeke only had 47, and that's 100 yards below their third-ranked average. They typically average 150 yards a game rushing going into that game, third in the league. And they were held to 50 yards. That Minnesota Vikings defense was very impressive. In tough crunch time games like that, near playoff time, you got to come in and you got to stop the run. And that's what Minnesota did on the road. Dallas was one of three in red zone efficiency and only had three points scored in the fourth quarter. I've talked in previous episodes how Dak Prescott just hasn't been able to get it done in some of these clutch games. And that was a perfect example right there. He had the game in his hands on that last drive, could have made a big time play and made the wrong throw. You just can't throw a tough out route like that in good coverage we saw on that last play and it came back to bite him. Kirk Cousins on the other hand though has been playing great football. He was mistake free, did not turn the ball over one time. He spread the ball around his tight end Kyle Rudolph had two touchdowns and he's really not even missing Adam Thielen is the thing. Stephon Diggs had had nine catches for 86 yards. Another good game for him but he's just spreading the ball right now and not making mistakes and that's what you got to do with a guy like Kirk Cousins who's typically making mistakes and prone to making mistakes in big games like that. No, absolutely. Dalvin Cook was an absolute beast. We were watching that game on our way back from Pittsburgh, and Dalvin Cook was just doing what he wanted, whether it was on the ground getting 97 yards and a touchdown. He also had seven receptions for 86 yards receiving. That man just really did whatever he wanted, and it kind of comes down to this Dallas defense, because towards the end of the season last year, we considered Dallas to have one of the better defenses in the NFL, not only the NFC, but in the NFL. They have really kind of deteriorated this year and have not played up to standards, honestly. Uh, The Dallas Cowboys kind of have an identity crisis if you ask me, you know, some games they're relying on Dak Prescott in the passing game, while other games are relying on Zeke in the running game. They need to come up with a formula, a winning formula that they can consistently stick to. And this defense really needs to straighten out because this Cowboys team honestly has a lot of talent and a lot of potential. And especially when you're in the NFC East, they need to capitalize on all this talent they have because they could easily run away with this division. But because of the way they're coached, because of the way they're executing, it's giving this Philadelphia Eagles team an opportunity to stay in this division with a better coach and a better quarterback, in my opinion. And I got to tell you, Casey, this might come back to bite Dallas in the butt because I tell you what, these are one of the games that you need to win in order to keep a lead in your division. And they just simply didn't get it done. Dallas has the tiebreaker right now over Philadelphia. They both sit at 5-4. and four. An upset over the Minnesota Vikings is certainly what the Dallas Cowboys were looking to find at home in Jerry's world this past Sunday night, but they couldn't get it. But moving on to upsets, there were some big upsets this week in Week 10 in the NFL. We had a few games out there that were very, very shocking. So let's get into a little bit of those upsets. I had three off the top of my head that I thought stood out the most and were my head and shoulders upsets of the week. 
But get into your upsets a little bit. Which games were your upsets that really stood out to you? So I got five upsets that happened this week. A lot of games that I did not see coming. There was the Titans beating the Chiefs, the Dolphins beating the Colts, the Seahawks beating the Niners, although the Seahawks are a really good team. Still a big upset going in there in San Francisco. The Falcons beating the Saints in New Orleans, and the Browns beating the Bills. Now a big one that I saw, because I said that I thought the Kansas City Chiefs were the best team in the AFC last week. I was absolutely wrong. They had been playing better defense as of late, but they could not stop Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry did what he wanted. I should have looked into the matchup a little bit more uh, with Derrick Henry. I didn't think of it. I was just thinking about Patrick Mahomes and how great he was going to look. And although he did look absolutely amazing, they did not get the job done in Nashville. And the Tennessee Titans and Ryan Tannehill got it done. And that's the thing that we need to start talking about, honestly, Casey, is the Tennessee Titans are now sitting at 5-5. Five and five. And since Ryan Tannehill has taken over, they have kind of turned their season around here. He is looking pretty Pretty impressive there in Tennessee, and they are honestly pushing for a wild card spot in the AFC, and they are a team that a lot of people are not talking about, but they are getting put in contention. So yes, I was wrong about the Chiefs, man. I thought that they were stepping up on defense. Uh, obviously, they can't stop the run. That's their weakness. Keeping the ball away from Patrick Mahomes and that prolific offense, because you know we're always going to see production from them, but the Tennessee Titans did a great job. They came down to the end of the game. Ryan Tannehill drove them down, scored the winning touchdown, and sealed that game for them at home in Nashville. Now, my biggest upset personally I had in Week 10 was Atlanta getting the 26-9 win over the New Orleans Saints. New Orleans had 12 penalties for 90 yards. A well-coached, well-willed machine like the New Orleans Saints usually never have that many kind of penalties or penalty yardage in a game. So in a game like that, penalties can really tell the story. Atlanta's defense was shut down. They held New Orleans to 52 rushing yards and just 258 passing yards. You love to see a defense like Atlanta show up like that in a game against a high-powered offense like Drew Brees and Alvin Kamara. They certainly shut them down. They didn't even have that great of an offensive game with Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, but they didn't need to. They just did everything they needed to do on defense and played an efficient outing against a top-tier NFC team like the Saints. And a lot of those penalties that the Saints got were very crucial penalties that cost them on fourth downs. I know that they uh, had a roughing the kicker that really cost them there late in the game on that punt. But, I mean, Marcus Lattimore was out in that game. That is a huge part of that secondary in that prolific defense that I've always talked about. And like I said, this is a Saints-Falcons game. You know, history shows us that these these teams always play each other close. Um, there's about one game a year where Drew Brees isn't Drew Brees and that the Saints kind of choke away one game. It's kind of similar to how the Packers did uh, in Los Angeles against the Chargers last week. So I think this is just a slip-up game. I'm not too worried about the Saints. I still think that they have the best roster in the NFL right now. Uh, it was a slip-up game. They were coming off a of bye. But kind of one thing I wanted to get into, because I figured you would bring this up, is that a lot of these teams coming off buys are not playing as well as we have seen in the past of teams coming off buys. The new collective bargaining agreement that the NFL has is only allowing teams to get in full pads and hit once a week uh, during the NFL season. And 
I'm starting to think with these bye weeks and, and, you know, them getting a whole week off and not even really getting to get into a lot of contact, that it's throwing a lot of these teams off. We saw it with the Rams-Steelers. You know, I thought that the Rams and Steelers game was going to be a little bit more high scoring than that, but the Rams offense looked a little sloppy as well. So I'm starting to kind of believe here that some of these teams that are coming off buys are just really just not in a groove and that these bye weeks are starting to throw teams off because they can't really practice and prepare for games like they have in the past. I actually have to agree with you on that. The bye weeks, you know, the one the one practice a week in pads is not anything that's going to help any team by any means. When football is such a physical game, I definitely don't like that rule, and I definitely think that needs to be looked at a little bit more. But coming off of a bye is so crucial for your season because coming off of a bye, you expect you know some guys to have new energy, guys to be healthier, guys to be rested. But we have seen that the Saints and the Rams this past week did not have that kind of energy coming off the bye, and it certainly showed. Another upset that I noticed this week that I definitely want to get into is the Cleveland Browns getting a 19-16 win over the Buffalo Bills, who I've been so high on this whole season. Buffalo just can't score, period. Buffalo has not been able to get their offense consistently going. They had 84 rushing yards against the Browns, and Josh Allen was 22 of 41. Josh Allen had two touchdowns rushing, but he just didn't have anything going in the air. He hasn't been able to be an efficient passer like they hoped he would be. Cleveland gets a big win over Buffalo, and then, hey, probably the upset of the week. Let's get into the Miami Dolphins a little bit. They all of a sudden are 2-7. and seven. They upset the Indianapolis Colts 16-12, to 12, shut them down. Miami's sixth straight game allowing less than 400 yards. Indianapolis had three turnovers, and Brian Horry was absolutely atrocious. The Miami Dolphins tanking? What, what are you talking about, man? They're, they're not tanking. They're playing good football right now. Coach Flores down there in Miami, I told you that he is a good leader, and Miami's just starting to move into the right direction. Um, I think that they should probably not keep winning as much as they are because they want those draft picks to still be some high picks so that they can get some high-quality players going into the years um, following this season. But I think they're moving in the right direction. I love their coach. I love that they ha- actually have a plan, unlike some teams that are tanking, like the Cincinnati Bengals, who are a bunch of scrubs. But with that being said, yes, Miami got a huge win. They showed that they got heart, and that was a great win, even though the Colts are playing with their third-string quarterback, Brian Hoyer, or I should say second string because we just need to get over that Andrew Luck retired. Big week of upsets in the NFL in week 10. Week 11 has another slate of big time games. We're going to get into our favorite part of the podcast now, our fantasy focus for the second straight week and our always great riddle rankings next on the Joes on the Pros podcast. Like we mentioned in the last segment, a lot of crazy upsets happened this past week. It's just one of those weeks in football where everything is going wrong for some of these good teams out there. So we are going to get into it. The new Riddle Rankings after Week 10. Let's get into it, Casey. So coming in at number 10, making their appearance since the first Riddle Rankings is the Pittsburgh Steelers, baby. That defense played absolutely amazing again. They are looking like a very good young core. The offensive line played pretty solid against a great Rams defensive line there. And I tell you what, next year they are going to be a Super Bowl contender if Ben Roethlisberger is going to come back. And they are pushing for a wild card spot this season when a 
lot of people thought that their season was dead. Coming in at number nine, the Kansas City Chiefs still, I think, have one of the best offenses in the league, and they still have one of the best quarterbacks in the league in Patrick Mahomes there, but that defense is atrocious. They can't stop any team with any kind of decent running game, and that is going to kill them. They have got to get that figured out in Kansas City, or they are not going to be a contender. I was high hopeful on them last week because I thought that their defense was starting to get in check. It is not. The Tennessee Titans re-exposed this team, and they are coming in at number nine in the Riddle rankings. Coming in at number eight, the Minnesota Vikings got a huge win against the Dallas Cowboys. I still don't know about Kirk Cousins. I mean, they beat the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys always seem to find to choke in the big moments, and I mean, when you play a team like Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings, who also choke in a big moment. I mean, somebody's got to win. It was a really close game, but the Vikings edged it out due to bad play calling there at the end of that game for the Dallas Cowboys. Coming in at number seven, they were off a five, but they're still obviously one of the best teams in the league. That is the Houston Texans. The Houston Texans are really good. I'm really looking forward to see what what they do down the stretch, see if they can be a little bit more consistent here and get into the playoffs and get a good seating and maybe make some noise this year because I'm really excited of what I'm seeing from Deshaun Watson, so we're going to have to see where that goes this coming up week. Coming in at number six, the Seattle Seahawks got a huge win, probably the win of the year for them against the San Francisco 49ers on Monday Night Football. The San Francisco 49ers were missing a lot of key players there, and it showed in Russell Wilson, that MVP caliber quarterback there, put in the work. He made the big plays in the big moments, and they came out with the win in a thriller on Monday Night Football. Coming in at number five, the Packers played the Carolina Panthers, and I got to tell you, I wasn't really impressed with that game. I thought there were some situational calls there that I didn't really like. They ended up getting that goal line stand there to save the tie at the end of the game. I mean, you're playing the Carolina Panthers, a southern team, and you're playing them up north in Green Bay in the snow in November. I mean, I got to tell you what, I think that the Packers should have probably won that game by a little bit more than that, and I'm just not seeing the Green Bay team that I saw earlier this year, especially with that defense. They need to start stepping it up again in order to be a better contender there in the NFC. Coming in at number four, they were my number one last week. It's the New Orleans Saints. They had an terrible loss against the Atlanta Falcons, but hey, that is a division rivalry game, and you cannot count anybody out in this league. The Saints always have a hiccup game about once a year, and it this year it came against their arch rival, the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, they didn't have Lattimore there in the secondary, and like I said earlier, that is a huge loss for them, but you still need to get the win. You still need to be a good team and, and show out, and they just didn't get the job done, but they are still, I think, one of the better teams in the NFC, but we are just going to have to wait and see how they bounce back. Coming in at number three, they also lost it is the San Francisco 49ers. Like I said, they didn't have Robbie Gold. I think Robbie Gold would have sealed that game for them last night in overtime. He probably would have got it done. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo was looking a little shaky there in the final minutes of the fourth quarter and overtime. Obviously, almost throwing a couple picks to the Seattle linebackers there. But with that being said, he didn't have Emmanuel Sanders. He didn't have George Kittle. Jadavion Clowney had the game of his career getting to him all night. It was just one of those games where it just wasn't in the cards for Jimmy G, and he did not have the help to get the job done last year. But they're still a very, very elite team, so they are coming in at number three. Coming in at number two, they had a bye week as well. It's the New England Patriots. They're basically bouncing up just because of all the teams that lost that were in front of them. 
And I got to tell you, I think that they are going to bounce back. Bill Belichick is the best coach in the league at making midseason adjustments, and I expect them to do that against the Philadelphia Eagles this weekend. And coming in at number one, I never thought I would say this, but the Baltimore Ravens are my number one team in the river rankings. Lamar Jackson has emerged as one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and he is just getting done. I love seeing Lamar Jackson have success, even though he plays for the Baltimore Ravens, because he did go to the University of Louisville, who is my cherished team that I grew up rooting for, being a guy who grew up in Louisville. But yes, he has found a home there in Baltimore. John Harbaugh has built a system around him. Everybody is buying into him, and it is showing. This team looks like they have great chemistry. They looks like they like each other. It looks like they are getting the job done and they are executing, beating the teams they need to beat and playing some of the best teams in the league really, really close and absolutely blowing the water out of New England really helped them push them up here. But they are my number one team because as of right now, they're the most consistently playing team right now after all of some of these top tier teams lost this past weekend. So the Baltimore Ravens are my number one team on the Riddle Rankings. Baltimore Ravens topping off those Riddle Rankings. Lamar Jackson is rowing. That offense is rowing. Love that hot take with them on the top 10 right there by Junie. And I'll start my fantasy focus out with Lamar Jackson as my first lock going into the Week 11 fantasy slate. Lamar Jackson takes on the Houston Texans. That's sure to be expected. A shootout against Deshaun Watson in the Houston Texans should be a high offensive output in that game. He has two straight games with at least three touchdowns. You know Lamar is going to get the carries on the ground. You know he can do it in the air a little bit. What can't he do this season? That's going to be a high-flying, high-scoring affair against the Texans. Lock Lamar Jackson into your lineup. Another lock. I'm moving Melvin Gordon up to a lock this week. He was a sleeper last week, but he is definitely a lock now. He has at least a touchdown and 10 touches in three straight games. He has taken sole possession of that Los Angeles Chargers backfield. Austin Eckler still in the mix, but Melvin Gordon has definitely solidified himself as the feature back once again in that backfield. Kansas City's defense, as we know, is not the strongest. Expect Melvin Gordon to have another solid outing fantasy-wise this week. Sleepers for this week in Week 11 fantasy football. Brian Hill will be the number one waiver addition. I guarantee you on everybody's waiver wire this week, pick him up and put him in your lineup. Brian Hill is going to be taking over because Devontae Freeman was hurt this past week. He had 21 touches and a touchdown last week against a solid New Orleans defense that didn't show up. Expect him to do more of that against Carolina. Expect him to get more of the bulk of touches and probably another touchdown against a Carolina defense that has been iffy on and off this season. Christian Kirk is another sleeper I have this week. He has a tough matchup against the San Francisco 49ers, but look what he did last week. 138 yards and three touchdowns against Tampa Bay last week. He has more catches in the last three games than Larry Fitzgerald, showing that he has put himself ahead of Larry Fitzgerald on top of that target list of Kyler Murray's. Expect Christian Kirk to have another solid game against a tough San Francisco defense. The Cardinals played him tough two weeks ago on Thursday Night Football. Expect more of that again this Sunday. My bust for this week. I'll start out with a top 10 pick for most people in their fantasy drafts this season, and that's David Johnson. David Johnson's been injured, and last week he was outcarried 2-1 by Kenyon Drake. And also, not only that, but Chase Edmonds will be healthy soon. That adds more of a pecking order into that backfield. Not good signs for David Johnson. Even though he's a top 10 fantasy pick, I would maybe leave him in your lineup if you don't have a solid flex this week. But otherwise, find other running backs. David Johnson's in a crowded backfield and has a very tough matchup against a solid San Francisco 49ers D. 
Look otherwise for running backs than David Johnson. My last bust on this week's fantasy focus is Chris Godwin against the New Orleans Saints. Chris Godwin hasn't scored a touchdown since week five, and New Orleans is looking to bounce back from a terrible loss against those Atlanta Falcons. Now, Chris Godwin is a high-volume receiver. He's definitely Jameis Winston's number one or two target along with Mike Evans there. But in a tough matchup against New Orleans, I expect New Orleans to bounce back strong this week, play more solid D like we've seen from them most of the season. And I think Chris Godwin's no TD streak since week five is going to keep up. So don't put Chris Godwin in your lineup this week. That is this week's fantasy focus. You can expect more of that week by week now on the Joes on the Pros podcast. I love talking about fantasy football. All good stuff, all good stuff, Casey. We love hearing about fantasy football because so many of us play that. But this is the Joes on the Pros podcast. We loved giving you all of our insight. We had a great time going to Pittsburgh and watching our two teams play. It's probably something that we're never, ever going to forget. It was such a great experience. But we are going to give you all the updates going after week 11. A lot of great matchups coming up this weekend, and you can get all your NFL info on the Joes on the Pros podcast. Stick with us.